0: Welcome back to our podcast. Hello, hello. We hope you are having an amazing day. First of all, special thanks to our support partner, Boku Superfood. That is Boku Superfood.com. B O K U Superfood.com. Check them out. They have the healthiest, most powerful, natural ingredients. Of all superfoods and proteins and more, you go to their website. You see what they got. They deliver. I use their protein and the green powder, the superfoods, and it just kind of kickstarts my body. You know, it's this effervescent feeling, this power, and uh, I I swear by it. And if you're interested, let me know. Send us an email. We'll hook you up with a discount at Boku Superfood, boku superfood.com, our support partner. Thank you. Welcome to this episode that we wanted to entitle The Diagnosis Survival Guide. How did we come up with that? Well, first of all, from our own experience, we got that the initial diagnosis, a diagnosis of your child with a mental disorder such as ADHD, and when I say mental disorder, I don't actually mean it, I'm just using the terms that our Western psychiatry, um, Western medicine uses today, mental disorder, but there's plenty of episodes on this podcast that you can look into, especially It's Not a Disorder that episode will go deeper into that. But for now, if a parent finds out, like we did, from a teacher or a principal at a school, or from anyone else, that their son or daughter might have ADHD, the next sort of measuring stick is the um, evaluation, right? The testing. Get tested for ADHD. And... What happens is, you know, let's say you have a medical uh, emergency and you get tested for something or some uh, disease in the body, or, you know, you get blood drawn, you go in and you give your blood and they analyze it. Well, it's not the same with mental disorders. In this case, we're focusing on ADHD, attention deficit hyperactivity disorder. It's not the same. You don't go in and get blood drawn. Although there have been some doctors that have tried to sort of, I call it biologize ADHD where they do, you know, brain scans or they inject, um, you know, a small dose of um, um, radioactive materials into a child's bloodstream so it can travel to uh, the brain and then it can be scanned. And then there's you know, biological proof that a child's brain looks different that has ADHD than the non ADHD brain, right? And there'll be another episode on that. But just to say, there have been some attempts to uh, medicalize, or I call it biologize, like make it as part of the body. Now we can prove it, right? It's in the flesh, it's in the blood. Much like I said, if, for example, you get tested for an STD, uh, herpes or whatever. Um, often there's 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 blood drawn. I mean, not often, but for that there's blood drawn. Some STDs are uh, differently evaluated, but it's besides the point. You get the idea. So there's there's this blood drawing, this physiological, biological kind of uh, proof. Well, with ADHD, that's not the case. With ADHD, we rely, or parents are in essence, forced to rely not only on their own observations of their children, which often are tainted by what we see in the news, what we hear, what we hear from schools, what we hear other parents talk about it. So it's almost impossible for a new parent that has a child that just got diagnosed to actually come at it neutrally. Sorry, I'll take that back. Not just diagnosed, but for a parent whose child is 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 currently being evaluated by a psychologist a a psychiatrist you know for ADHD and then the parents are asked a set of questions you know how is how does your child behave and is he is does he hyperfocus, is he you know not pay attention at school like a barrage of question comes at them and the answers that this professional, this expert is looking for, those answers cannot come from a pure place because most of us have been what I call brainwashed, although I think it's the wrong term because if you wash something, it's clean. In this case, it's brain dirtied by the current narrative out there about around ADHD. Let me tell you what I'm, what I'm talking about here. I'll give you an example. There are now, I read a study recently, it's something like 30% of the parents that now come to a psychologist or a doctor or psychiatrist actually come in saying, I think my son or daughter has ADHD, could we get him or her get get her tested? So what I'm talking about here is that it's now the parents that have sort of pre-diagnosed their children before they even go to the quote unquote expert. To get to test on. Well, how is that happening? Why is that happening? Well, it's very simple. Because of media, of news, of social media, of of the buzz, the, the narrative that's floating between, you know, parents to parents to parents or principal to parent, teacher to parent, school psychologist. You know, there's a narrative. It's almost like Wi-Fi. You can't see it, you know, or like electricity. You can't see it, but it's still there. It's work and it's magic. There's a narrative, an invisible narrative out there that parents are influenced by. So when they're actually describing their children, not only do they already, f- to the expert, right, uh, before the child gets tested, not only do they already feel that their child has a, a disorder or something wrong with their children, right, because they're not getting the grades, they're getting in trouble, the parents have to go to principals office. Not only do they feel already that, but on top of that their answers are tainted by the narrative because it's almost like sub- subconsciously that parents that parent wants to find something sorry i'll take that back it's almost subconsciously that the parent wants the experts to find proof that their children that their child has a mental disorder because then oh now we know what it is Now we can, quote-unquote, fix it. Now we can hope that there's something that can be done so the grades go up and the kid pays attention at school and is not a pain in the ass at home, right? So the parents come in with all this sort of pre-set, pre-tainted opinion about their child. So that's a huge ball of wax to begin with. I mean, we're just starting this episode called diagnosis survival guide. So why am I bringing this up? If you're open-minded, and most of you that are listening to our podcast are, or you wouldn't be here, you probably would have, not probably, most likely you will have gotten turned off by our name, ADHD is over, or by the names of our um, episodes, or by the names of the experts we've interviewed. Because if you're in what we call camp coping then you don't believe there is uh, an alternative uh, narrative. There's a a deeper theory, a much deeper theory beyond the band-aid we call medication and the sort of coping strategies, right? And that's why you're here. So if you're here and you're open-minded and you have a child that you suspect might have this so-called mental disorder called ADHD, or you've just gotten a diagnosis Or someone told you that you, because you got a diagnosis or because you think your child has ADHD, you should listen to this podcast. So that's kind of our, that's who we're doing this episode for. If you're in that group, I think you, I hope you will get a lot of value from this episode. So we're here to say, we call it a survival guide because the diagnosis is essentially like, it's almost like somebody punches you in the face and then you need to survive that shock. Because it is a shock. I remember when my wife and I um, first were invited to this, uh, this parent-teacher uh, conference meeting, and, and the teacher, our son's teacher, said, your son might have ADHD. We think he does. And eventually, uh, we were told that medication would be the most effective way to deal with this. And that was then confirmed... By the person that tested our son and made the diagnosis of ADHD and some other uh, developmental disorders, along with ADHD, it was all confirmed, right? And so that's that's a shock to the system. I mean, my wife cried right there in the uh, in the principal's office, and I I I was sort of I don't know I was I felt sidelined. I was like, w- what w- what what's happening? What what is going on? Really? No. Hmm right? It's that initial shock. It's a bit of a small, like PTSD almost. It's a little trauma. So that's why we decided to do this episode and title it um, as a survival guide, essentially, from the diagnosis. So you just received word that your child might have a mental disorder. And if you've never had a child with a mental disorder or or this particular child doesn't have any other mental disorders, and this is your first one, I mean... The word mental disorder literally smells or tastes like a small part of the fabric of, of the realm of mental institution, right? It's like mental disorder. If it gets worse, uh, the child may need intervention and medication, and maybe they'll become addicted to something. And then there's like, it's like a, a doomsday type of ball of wax right? When you hear mental disorder. And this is not the episode for me to dive deeper into that term, because it is a destructive term. And I've recently had an adult leave a comment uh, to say, oh, stop saying disorder is a bad word. It's, it's, it describes exactly what's going on within those of us, you know, our brains were just ordered differently. And that's why it's a disorder. And, you know, we need to work on it. And while there's some truth to what that person is saying, first of all, that was an adult. I'm talking about putting that label on a child. Now, as adults, it's a bit easier to handle it and say, "Yeah, I have this thing as mental disorder," and you know, now I know why I can't pay attention and so forth. That works for some people temporarily. I think if eventually they fall victim to that, that's their label, and that's why they can't be, be you know, quote unquote more optimized as a human being in life, then it becomes an escape. Then it's like a not taken responsibility for your own life. That's different. But for adults, the label is, it, we can reason with it. We can understand why there's a profession that wants to put labels on things. And, you know, yet I still claim that for most adults, it's still a, a negative label. They still don't really process it in a positive way. So I disagree with that person leaving a comment. Disorder is... A destructive word because if we were to survey a thousand people today whether that's a positive or negative word I guarantee you that except for a few smart rats that would say well depends how you look at it and it's not that negative most people would say it's a negative word you don't want to just date anyone who's disordered or you, you don't happily announce to other parents when you meet them that your children are disordered I mean come on let's let's get real about this you know I, I'm, I'm tired of people, you know, spitting out these, oh, stop saying it's a bad word. And da-da-da-da. like, look, if it works for you and you enjoy being a disordered person and that label is fine, we, you wouldn't even spend time or waste time to leave a comment like that because it's triggering the people. And that's good. We want to trigger people. We need to start triggering people. People need to start waking up. I'm waking up in our family. And I encourage everyone to start waking up around these words we throw around and we go, it's no big deal. It's no. Oh, they say labels are bad for kids, but no, we need to help them. No, they are bad for kids. We're raising an entire generation of children who are insecure, who have lack of, you know, believing in themselves, who think they're not good enough, that they don't matter, that they're broken. That's a fact talk to a hundred adults that are open to transformational conversations and see that they took that, that dialogue that was instilled in them at five, six, seven years old of "I'm not good enough, I don't matter, I can't do it. All those negative labels, especially this one coming from a mental disorder label, lasts into adulthood because it's, a, it's part of the tape, the operating system that we have that has this negative talk installed and it keeps running like an old tape. So I'm really passionate about this. That's obviously why I'm doing this this podcast, this film, this book, because we need to stop using those words. I commend and applaud the veteran community of the United States military, who I've had the pleasure to work with for years uh, we were producing uh, the uh, suicide prevention public service announcements for the, uh, uh, the VA, the Veteran Affairs of the United States. And I've interviewed uh, together with my colleagues thousands of veterans. And what really impressed us is they, they, they do not see PTSD. They do not allow, they don't speak the D. It's PTS, it's post-traumatic stress. They are not disordered. And they put a stake in the ground about that. So PTSD is really a term that, again, our psychiatric uh, community has created because we love creating disorders. Love it. Love it. Love it. Love it. Why? Well, it gives us this sense of like we've discovered something and we're going to heal this. And by the way, let me tell you, there's an amazing statement that I recently wrote, uh, read, and this is by Thomas Z- Zaz, I don't know if I say it right, S-Z-A-S-Z. Real illnesses are discovered. Psychiatric illnesses are declared. Let me say that again. Real illnesses are discovered. Psychiatric illnesses, meaning disorders, are declared. Let that sink in. Let that sink in. So parents, if you're listening and your child has just been given this heavy label of a mental disorder, first, allow yourself to be with the emotions. You have to be with the sadness, the confusion, the anger, and so forth. And don't make it wrong. I remember the teacher that was giving us the news after my wife had started crying, she said, don't worry you'll get used to it with a very sympathetic smile. Now, I understand where she's coming from. I get it. But that's the problem. Because when a parent in the midst of feeling, expressing emotions is told, you will get used to it. It's almost like saying, At some point, you're going to stop crying about it because you're going to get used to it that your child forever will have this thing and it's just going to get less and less. It's not going to be a big deal anymore. And that's the problem for many reasons. And I don't want to dive too deep into that right now. But I just want to say you have to take ownership of your emotional space at that moment and if anyone is around you and says oh don't cry or you know here here's let, let's what if they're trying to deflect from your need to express your emotions you need to say guys i need a moment and you need to be with those emotions cuz that that's sort of one-on-one humaning one-on-one or human being one-on-one we need to be with the emotions because you have every reason to be whatever it is, shocked, confused, frustrated, irritated, angry, sad. Just be with that. That's like basic human being housekeeping, right? Just got to let that flow out. Then, and this is in the case of, you know, I'm talking if, if you're being told that by a school or a school psychologist or a nurse or a principal, If you're at the therapist's or the expert's office and you've just been given the diagnosis of ADHD, again, same applies. And again, make that space sacred. You need to have that expression. Then what I would do is say, thank you for your opinion to the expert and say, my husband and I, or my wife and I, we're going to read it, digest it. And if we have any questions, we'll let you know. And then you leave. And here's why. First of all, that's one expert, one. There are literally thousands of experts with different opinions, different practices, different points of view. They're also very unique human beings. I'll give you a very prominent example. What a lot of people don't know, there is a really loud voice in the ADHD camp coping, and that is the voice of Russell Barkley. Russell Barkley is the sort of biggest, loudest advocate for medication, stimulant drugs for ADHD as being the most effective treatment and so forth. If you've ever seen Russell Barkley speak on stage, there is a lot of anger present. And uh, honestly, you, you have to look at experts when they speak because, and Russell Barkley is the same in every one of his videos, there's an anger. And I'll get to where I believe that is coming from. First of all, wouldn't it make sense that the top, the world's top experts on ADHD, wouldn't it make sense that their number one priority was to actually help children, actually help them, understand them, support them, and of course, understand and support and help the parents, right? But it is literally scientifically proven and he's claims to be a scientist and researcher and therapist and all of it, right? It's scientifically proven. That first of all, when we come from anger and resentment as a way of being, doesn't matter what we say, but as a way of being, when we come from anger and resentment, we cannot connect with a human being. We cannot actually make a difference, support, connect, especially not with children. Children have a radar that detects anger and, by the way, many other things, much quicker than the radar of adults. They're more sensitive. And I'm here to say that when I hear Russell Barkley speak to parents or educators about ADHD, he speaks as if children were the problem and they need to be taken care of. And I'm sorry, but in our camp thriving, I do not believe that that way of being, that way of, of speaking about children has anything to do with actually wanting to help them, support them and connect with them. Side note. Why did I say that? Well, for example, Russell Barkley, what most people don't know, this is my point of where I believe his anger and resentment comes from. His own brother was killed in a car crash and he wasn't wearing a seatbelt. He was being reckless because he supposedly had ADHD. Now. I'm going to assume you already know what I'm going to say next. Russell Barkley is on a crusade. And yes, ultimately the crusade is coming from love or sadness about his brother's death. But most likely it's also a bit of a resentment, how dare you, you know, not having taken meds and and having been reckless and now you killed yourself and caused pain in our family. I get it. Of course. And that ultimately comes from love, right? You're sad when one of your own dies. I get it. But the anger and resentment towards his brother, how dare you, reckless child who fought against medication, who didn't want to do it the right way, the scientific way. How dare you? That anger I feel is now directed to parents, educators, and children through everything he does. Now, I'm not a psychologist, and I don't th- think it takes a psychologist to see that, but I'm just putting the, you know, connecting the dots is what we do here. And so I'm just putting that together. And you can look this up. You can Google. There are articles, news article, uh, about his brother's passing. And of course, I'm very sorry for, for Russell Barkley or anyone losing their brother. But what I'm not sorry about is taking that personal anguish and redirecting it Out into the world especially when you're that much of an authority figure so that's a side note and why is it a side note that I thought was important is because that's one expert that lots of people listen to now you can listen to some of our experts who are have as much experience who are some of them even older than Russell Barkley and who say the complete opposite about medication and about treatments and about ADHD in general Now, who's right? Is it the one with the loudest bullhorn? Because let's not make a mistake here. It depends who bought the bullhorn for them, right? Russell Barkley, for example, gets about 25 to 30% of his income uh, paid from pharmaceutical companies, from speaking engagement, consulting, and so forth, where some of our experts don't get any money from pharmaceutical companies because they decided it's not ethical. It's not actually fair to take money from pharmaceutical companies and then go promote those products to the public because then you're essentially a spokesperson, a salesman for that company, right? Now, nothing wrong with that. It's business. It's not illegal, but I hope you see what's happening here. This is not all experts in uh, camp coping, of course. There's some experts that don't get paid and they still believe in what Russell Barclay says, but again, that's my point. They look up to him. He's their role model. He just believes what he says, right? On our side, we have experts to tell you otherwise. And so my point to you, parents, is if you go to one doctor, one psychiatrist, psychologist, therapist, you know, uh, that has now diagnosed your child, that's one opinion, one. Am I saying you should get multiple ones? I know these tests are expensive. Uh, if your insurance company pays for them almost fully, then you might be inclined to do two or three. If not, I get it. They're really expensive. I think our test was like $6,000 and our insurance at the time only paid maybe four. We still had to pay $2,000. That's $2,000, right? Would we do three tests? Probably not. But my point is, if you're not going to do multiple tests, at least just in your mind, be with all of it for a little while and don't jump to conclusions and here's another thing don't google it at first because it's the same thing you know my wife is really cute sometimes something will happen and she has like a little blister or our kids will have something happening in the body or you know and and right away um my wife googles it and and not always I mean I've done it too but for research reasons, right? The problem with that is that often, when we do that right away, we get the worst possible feedback on Google. It's like instantly, you're like, this could be cancer, this is a mental thing, you gotta take medication or the child's gonna do drugs and go to jail. You are instantly wrapped up into this doomsday, ball of wax kind of blanket, almost wraps around you because it's almost like the news, right? I love how people always say, oh, I don't really watch the news. And I go, what do you mean by really? I don't really watch the news. So you watch some. Yeah, yeah, you know, I'll do, you know, half hour, I don't know, CNN a day. Okay, so you are watching the news. Yeah, but not not, not like that much, you know, it's like anything contained your mind quickly and especially it contained quicker when you're in this urgent moment, right? Because if you've just gotten a diagnosis, What's running through your head is, now what do we do? What do we do? What do we do? What do we do next? What do we do next? What do we do next? What's the best thing to do? What do we need to do? How, what can we do? What can we afford? What should we do? Who should we go to? What, 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 what right? And we did that as well. And because we were not uh, pro-meds, uh, we said, look, uh, medication for us is not an option right now, so we're gonna do some uh, some other therapies, which we then did, you know, some occupational therapy Um, There's also CBT, cognitive behavioral therapy. There's, There's many things, right? So yes, of course you can Google those. But the reason, again, why we wanted to make this episode is for you to just take a moment, even if it's a full week, what do you have to lose? It's a week. Take a full moment and really be with that, with the diagnosis, with really you and your partner if if you know if you have a partner if you're married or uh, maybe if you're a single mother or father, maybe you talk to your parents or best friend or whatever but just be with it for one week and see what comes up because one thing that we're here to say is that intuitively intuitively every parent knows what needs to be done. And I know that I, I get a lot of shit for that. People be like, no, that's not true. That's why there's experts and doctors know better and psychiatrists and the media and this expert and this book and all this stuff. I'm here to say that's all noise. That's all great. But don't we always celebrate the people we hear about that they created a miracle where everyone told them it's not possible that they can survive this type of cancer and that they'll never walk again or their daughter can never will never hear and suddenly she can hear... Don't we all love those stories? Well, how come we love those stories? Well, it's very simple. We love them because intuitively we know that is totally possible. We know it's slim chances, right? But we know it's possible. That's why something gets triggered and we're like, oh, what a story, yes, and also because we want it. Well, if we know intuitively it's possible and we want it, then wouldn't we do the same thing The moment our child, our own child is diagnosed with a mental disorder, wouldn't we want to take some time and really dig deep and even come up with a solution that says, you know what, I'm not going to put a label on my child. My child does not have a mental disorder. And unfortunately, because ADHD currently still labeled as a mental disorder, I'm not interested in that label. Maybe when they change it to something else that's not ending in disorder, you know, like Developmental attention issues, or something where you go, like, yeah, it's temporary, and you know, we'll figure it out, we'll look into it. But until then, nope, sorry, not interested, not taking the label, nope, nope, nope. Then you come from a different place because you know your child or your children better than anyone else. Don't let anyone ever tell you that they're an expert. And they know what's right for your child. Now, there are some exceptions here. And the exception is if as parents, or if a parent is under the influence of, of drugs or, you know, alcoholism, or there's abuse or anything extreme like that, then yes, there's obviously experts that might have to step in to say, look, um, we're going to have to push, push pause on your parenting and your children have to be taken care of here for a little bit, right? While you recover. Yes, there are circumstances. I'm not saying that you know what I mean. What I mean is that you know your children better. You have spent, say, five, six, seven years with your child, raising your child. And now an expert tells you that your child has a mental disorder. And if you're anything like my wife and I, and you go, really? I mean, our child has a lot of energy. And yes, he's he's sometimes a pain in the butt. But I mean, most children are at times. And Yes, there's more extreme cases, but there's also more extreme circumstances in families. There's more extreme circumstances in the environment. There's more extreme circumstances at the schools, blah, blah, blah. Yes, children are like that naturally. That's called development. They're testing things out. So you know your child and you're like, that's normal. I mean, I thought our child was fine. I mean, we've seen other kids like that, right? Trust that is what we're here to say. Trust that you know your child and sit with the diagnosis for a while. You know, if you need to have your children looked after by a babysitter or a, a grandparent or someone, and you need to take a few days off with your partner or by yourself and, and go away, um, get an Airbnb and, and, and just let it sink in, do that. It's important to do that. Very important to do that with any big life decisions. We do that when it comes to business decisions, when it comes to a breakup, or before we get married, or, or when we're depressed, or anything big in life, we do that. We do, I, I hope you would, and sometimes I don't, but most of the time, I try to take some time off and reflect and let it sink in and be with myself. So why wouldn't we do that in this very important moment when our child is being diagnosed with a mental disorder? Would only make sense to take, take a little break, reflect, dig deep, let it sink in, see what comes up instead of jumping right into Google and then right, you know, calling some therapists and then boom, boom, boom. And three weeks later, the child's on medication. I mean, if you want to do that and you're into that kind of band-aiding the situation, you might have to. I'm not saying, you know, there's going to be some moments where... A single parent with three jobs and a crazy household and three children and two have ADHD. Yeah, you're, you know, medication might be a good band aid for a while, but it should never. I don't want to say should. I should say, I should. Let me say that if we look at these temporary fixes as long term solutions, that's where the trouble begins. And there's lots of scientific evidence on that. That medication, first of all, does not have any long-term academic performance benefits. Uh, there's a scientific study on that. Uh, the other side, of course, said, no, medication works for you know scientific improvement. Um, sorry, academic improvement. Uh, yes, for two years. But if you look at the study, it continues to four, six, seven years. After seven years, not at all. So again, cherry-picking the studies, well done. But parents don't know that. So there's all these things, right, that... If we use medication suddenly as a crutch and we go without it, I can't function in the world. And, and you know, I, I know adults that are still taking Adderall and they've taken it for 20 years. That's a crutch. That's someone not willing to dig deeper. That's something that works for a while as a Band-Aid, but then they just kept putting Band-Aids on a deeper wound. And now you just need more and more Band-Aids. The doses goes up, Right. And so we're here to say, look, if you're going to do medication and you have to do medication as a band-aid, as a temporary solution, then you need to do that if that's what you feel. And if there's no other way, we are not anti-meds. I just want, want that to be said. We are anti-using meds as a long-term solution or as the solution. That's what we're definitely anti. Because there's plenty of scientific evidence that that is not healthy and it does not work the magic that we're promised. So besides that, You know, like I said, be with the emotions first, make that a sacred space for you to experience those emotions, and then take some time off, preferably don't Google anything, don't listen, even if people give you advice, if you are the kind of person that can take in the advice and put it in a little folder on the table and leave it there, not have it be in your mind going like, is that right? Is it wrong? Should I do it? Should I not? Should I do it? You know, if you can just kind of set it aside for a week, allow yourself some silence, allow yourself to connect intuitively with that information, allow yourself to sit with A, what, what, what you were told and B, what you think should happen next and all that stuff. If you can meditate, do yoga, like I said, go away for, for a few days sit with it. Just sit with it. So those are the first two steps. Then thirdly, I highly recommend you parents, because this is a very important, this is a life, one of the most important life decisions you'll ever make. Just like getting married, having a child, buying a house, buying a car, you know, forget the house and the car. Those are material things. But you know, when you get to that moment where you're like, here we go. Well, it's the same thing with medicating a child or with labeling a child with ADHD, you know, and then going to special ed. And, you know, you're sort of like buying into this, this, this label lifestyle. That's what you're really signing up for. It's like you're putting on a t-shirt, almost like a soccer team Jersey on your child that says, now you're part of this team. It's called team ADHD, mental disorder, special ed, uh, you know, uh, coping, uh, uh, doing therapies and medication that's a team you know again, it's not the wrong team if you're interested in long term if you're in, sorry if you're interested in digging deeper and finding the real causes of ADHD then then it's the wrong team because that's just team that's coping. We are here to help people thrive and thriving doesn't mean everything is always going to be roses and everything's always perfect and everyone's always happy not at all. Thriving is having the, the inspiration and the energy to keep going past the bumps, the speed bumps, but to keep going because you know, there's something better right ahead. That's thriving. Coping is there's not much I can do. I'm only going to be ever maybe achieving, you know, 75% of my potential and I got to take the meds, but at least I'll be 75% and at least I'll be functioning and they'll be okay. That's coping. Thriving is like we're going beyond, we're, 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 we're sort of going for the stars, for the magic, for the unpredictable, for the mystical, for the uh, synchronicities in life, right? That's what we stand for. So now you've sat with this information and now the third step is to really connect the dots. You want to connect the dots and that's why, that is the reason why we wanted to make this film, this podcast, and this book. Because in our society, the current narrative around ADHD is one-sided and incomplete. Some experts call it false. We don't go as far as that. Yeah, there's a lot of false information, uh, definitely, but it's fair to say it's incomplete and one-sided. I mean, if you think about it, there was even a consensus written, I believe it was in 2002, uh, by Russell Barkley and and his fellow believers or his fans, uh, to say, uh, look, uh, the scientific debate is over. ADHD is what we say it is, and you, you you there's no need for you to other the other side to to try to battle this. It's over. It's over. And there was a rebuttal of that uh, written in 2004, and you know, by the other side, by our side, saying, hold on. What you just said in your consensus is exactly against the purpose of science. Because for science is to keep an open dialogue and to keep exploring scientifically back and forth to have a healthy argument. But what Russell Barkley and his team basically wanted to do is kind of squander, squash this other side just say, just shut up, shut up. We have the truth and you don't. And it's simply not scientific. And why is that important? Well, when you connect the dots around ADHD, you need to look into every corner of this so-called disorder in order for you to really make an informed decision. Again, if if you need an immediate relief, right, you need that Band-Aid because you literally can't function or provide for your family, then you might do that for a while. Say to yourself, we're going to try the lowest dose. We're going to try... Uh, try this for six months, right? Cool. But you have to then reevaluate it around month four, knowing that two months are left. How do we really feel, right? Because if you just keep adding on and go, all right, let's do another six months, or let's do another year, suddenly you've done it for 10 years, right? And it's no longer a band aid. Now you've even become accustomed to having your child on medication. And if you like it, if it works for you because you have less friction in the household or at school, you may even think, this is how it's supposed to be, and I'm glad this is this way, and let's continue. But again, that is not being responsible. That is simply just, you know, calling your child the problem and medications the solution. And at least I don't have to make any changes in my life. And we'll do another episode on what that means to be fully responsible as a parent in life for yourself and your marriage and your family, right? And your children. But that's another episode. So think about it. If you're doing it temporarily, great. Do that, but keep in mind, it's not a long-term solution. But now, if you literally are connecting the dots online you you know i think it's time to really go look deeper into all the areas from the therapies to the medication and when you read about medication don't just read what russell barkley says about it or ed hallowell uh also, on the other side, read what Peter Bregan says, read what Gabor Mate says, read what uh, even Jordan Peterson talks about it. Like there's many experts. You want to you wanna hear both sides and it's not easy. You know, my wife and I first heard the, the camp coping, the, the Barclay and crew. That was the first side we heard. And thank God I came across a book that a friend of mine said, he said, I know you're reading a lot of books on ADHD and you're thinking about doing the treatments and stuff, but here, read this book. And it was Tom Hartman's book um, that's now called Hunters in a Farmer's World. And I think it was called ADHD, a different perspective. Yeah, back then, right? Changed the title, just re-released. Highly recommend you read this book. Tom really opened our eyes to the other side, and there's many other experts that we've since talked to that sort of what I call complement Tom's point of view and, and add to it. And Tom's been out of the ADHD world for some 15, 20 years, but he was a, a pioneer at the time to really say, Hey guys, it's not a disorder. It's not a disorder, you know? It's it's an adaptation. It's that we used to be hunters and we needed those skills. And, you know, back then when there was a threat, our system would go into hyper-focus and survival and it, there's nothing else we could do at the same time while that was happening. The brain still does that today. Threats are different today now. Today, perhaps it's not a saber tooth tiger. Perhaps it's, it's an alcoholic father. It's, it's lack of nurture. It's simply some form of feeling unsafe for the child. And that activates a child's survival mechanism. The nervous system goes into survival. Then the brain focuses, hyper-focuses on one thing. And it cannot focus on processing stress or trauma while learning equations, algebra equations. It cannot do both. Scientific. That's scientifically proven little detour, but so Tom Hartman's book really, really woke us up to the other side. And then we started to compare both sides. And only when you start comparing both sides, when you connect the dots from nutrition to therapies, to medication, uh, to trauma, definitely look into trauma, PTSD, the overlap between trauma and ADHD is insanely high. Something like 95% of the symptoms are the same. We have experts now claiming that most children diagnosed with ADHD actually have a form of PTSD from something stressful or traumatic. Now, remember, no drama doesn't mean no trauma because the first thing every family will say, oh, there's no drama here. I'm sorry, there's no trauma here. Right. We've all had trauma. There's thousands of types of trauma from lack of nurture, from prenatal, now there's even evidence that... uh, Ultrasound is traumatic to a baby in the womb. So there's many unexplored. Circumcision is highly traumatic to a child. Highly traumatic. So things like that we don't we don't look at on the other side. Camp Coping doesn't look at those as possible root causes for ADHD. We're here to say you as a parent, you have a duty to look at both sides, and then you can make an informed decision. And look. There's, there's always going to be the anti-vaxxer on both sides, right? And just use that as an example because we're not anti-medication. It's much more nuanced than that. We've been accused of that, but that's simply not the truth. We're not anti-medication. We're anti-medication being pitched as the solution and as a long-term solution. Yes, we are anti-that because there's enough scientific evidence that we're messing with our children's neurology, biology, and so forth when we do long-term medication and there's not even enough data and there's it's it's a scary thing and and similar things are happening nowadays with uh, vaccines we're not anti vaccines i'm anti short studies and and shortcutting studies and not having the results and then saying it's safe i can't get behind that but i'm not anti vaccine i have many vaccines in me myself so as a side note but you know, once you as a parent, you can compare both sides and really, really, really do the research. And look, we've done research for seven years. You don't have to go to the level that we had. You can simply do Google on Google, right? Some people now use different uh, browsers, DuckDuckGo, or you, you can use other ones. Ecosia, I think is another one I've used. So use Google And just put in ADHD and your first two pages, you'll pretty much get the the Russell Barkley camp coping side of ADHD. And then you can dig deeper in some of the books and the experts and you can go down that rabbit hole. For the other side, camp thriving, well, that's why we are doing what we're doing. So you don't have to dig as deep. You should still dig. We're not saying our research and our experts and statements we have on our podcast and in our film should replace your research? No. Do your own research. But we've kind of curated, uh, you know, this for you a bit with the help of many awesome uh, supporters that have connected us with with experts and authors and therapists and psychiatrists around the world that do believe that ADHD is not a mental disorder. That is simply a made-up term to describe symptoms, behavioral symptoms, and that the actual root cause of those behavioral symptoms is not a thing called ADHD. So in other words, and you've heard us say this before, you don't have ADHD because you have ADHD. But a lot of people, a lot of people get triggered by that because they do believe that they have ADHD. Like literally, I do these things because I have ADHD. We're here to say that is not true. Even logically, that is not true. When you look at a term, a label that was made up, invented by the American Psychiatric Association in a boardroom with experts saying, what should we call it? Well, that is proof that it's made up. The label is made up. Again, people you know, criticize me all the time for saying this. I'm not saying the struggle isn't real. The friction that you have with in your environment, in your life, that's real. But that's behavioral symptoms that you're showing. That's not proof that it's this made-up term called ADHD. That's just invented to describe the set of symptoms you have. So nobody can actually have ADHD. And we really need to split it down to this little atom because we cannot continue to teach people to say i have adhd even though they say well well you know what i mean well no then why do you not why do you say it that way why not say i show some t- symptoms that they call adhd and i'm working on it that's different than i have adhd and so we're a big stand that you as a parent do the same thing when you do your research really listen from your heart Your brain has already enough to digest if you look at the Google searches, the results, right? But in this case, we're talking about our children, and we owe it to them to come from our heart. What does our heart say? Listen to, for example, listen to a speech by Russell Barkley, and then listen to a speech by Gabor Mate. And without even going into details and debating who's got the better science... Look at who would you trust with your child? Who do you think is more interested in actually making a difference with children and adults that struggle with these symptoms? Who do you actually think has dug deeper? Who's getting paid by who? And in the end, what's the agenda? And you have to ask those questions. And that's just one example of comparing which side you're on. If you absolutely feel 100% comfortable listening to Russell Barkley and you go, like, he's the guy, this is it, medication, I gotta get my child to Stanford, my child has to do, you know, we could, I gotta raise the CEO, gotta go, 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 yes, then you go to camp coping. That's totally fine. No hard feelings. I get it. You need to choose that. You can also not, you know, you can't fake it. You can't deny your own intuitive sense. If your intuition says, I do like Russell Barkley better than, for example, Gabor Mate, listening to them, then you got to trust that too. We're not here to say who you should trust, but we're here to say to the people that follow this podcast and the people that like this podcast that when you can come from your heart, it will be easy to distinguish those who are in it for some other intention or some other motive or purpose other than actually truly helping people heal themselves. That's why we wanted to do this diagnosis survival guide. So quick review first, take in the information and be with your emotions. Two, find a place, a time to sit still and be with the diagnosis. Be with what this could mean for your life. And then third, do thorough research on both sides. Do not quickly swing to one side because of some YouTube video you saw or some CDC or, or whatnot, Institute of Mental Health, uh, article, you know, yes, consider them all. Of course, we've read many of them. And actually when you dig further back, there's many of them that, that pretty much are in the camp thriving as well and are exposing some of the pharmaceutical companies' motives. But the later articles in the more recent years, you know, are again, swaying in the favor of camp coping of medications, the most effective. So you have to kind of get the bigger picture. You have to see where all this is coming from as a parent before you give medication. And I'm going to give you a bonus here. And again, this is not a, I'm not a medical professional. I'm not saying you should do this. I'm also not advising you to do it. But here I'm going to share something I did. When we did for a few uh, rare moments consider putting our son on medication, I said to my wife, Well, before I'm going to give him the medication, I need to see what that medication feels like. I want to know as an adult, as my son's father, what am I putting in his body? And so I um, used a couple of online services to, to diagnose me with ADHD and I got medication delivered to my door. This will be in our documentary as well. And I tried it. And it's powerful. It's powerful, powerful, powerful stuff. But it's so powerful that it didn't scare me because I'm an adult, but I took a dose that is about a fifth of what most kids nowadays are on. And I'm an adult. I weigh 200 pounds. Some of these kids are 70, 80 pounds, you know, and they're on five times more of these medications than I was on. And I could feel this heartwarming, powerful, almost anxious, teeth grinding kind of drive in me. And it almost felt like I was a different person. It's a bit like, you know... Being so strung on some kind of a a drug that where you're just like okay let's go let's go tear up some stuff right and I get the whole premise of these stimulant drugs they stimulate the the, the ADHD person's brain because they need that stimulation so then it calms them down because if they don't have that stimulation because their nervous system their brain needs it at the time because they've gotten used to needing the stimulation right so as dopamine comes in and it's not that's a whole nother conversation. Um, But that is a stimulant drug. And when I felt this like, whoa, like I'm stimulated. I was thinking to myself, what would they do to my son? And I did not feel comfortable. I had to trust my intuition. There's many experts that would say, well, but you know, done in the right medical professional and finding the right drug at the right dose and blah, 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 blah. I'm sorry. But in, Intuition for me is more important than your expert advice because I have learned to trust myself and I've done well in life with that, trusting myself, my intuition so far, and I will continue to do so because that's my autonomous right as a human being to trust my intuition. And that really is the main takeaway, parents. You have to trust your intuition that when you smell that something is fishy, that you stop and you ask the right questions and you do the right research and you talk it over with your life partner, with your supporter, whoever you're with or whoever you have your child with. You don't ever make that a one-sided discussion. I don't believe we should medicate or I believe we should medicate. It's like, great, let's both research and find some experts and listen to and talk to and this is our child. Let's, let's listen to Russell Barkley and then listen to Gabor Mate or let's, you know, let's really dig in. Like talk about genetics. Let's listen to a geneticist that says ADHD is genetic and let's listen to Bruce Lipton who says epigenetics proves that ADHD is not genetic. It's not predis- pre- predetermined. Right? Listen to both sides and let it sink in and discuss it. So that's what we're here to say. And in the end, I will say... So that was the three steps, be with the emotions, sit still, do the research. And I would say, lastly, I want to leave you with one piece of advice. If you can slowly shift your perspective that your child is not the problem, but that your child is experiencing friction, with his or her environment because of some stresses or traumas that happened in their childhood or since prenatal, right, goes that far back, then you can start owning it, be responsible for it, and you can start doing the work. And I hate to break it to your parents, but my wife and I have come to realize that the child is like a check engine light letting us know there's something off with the engine. The engine are the parents. We are driving the family. So what the child is saying, please help me reduce the friction between me and my environment and start with yourselves. Where do you need to clean up and heal? And that's gonna lead us to cleaning up transgenerational trauma, the coping mechanisms that are Grandparents and parents have learned to use to survive because of what they went through. And when we can stop that, I'm a big believer that mental disorders will start to fade out. The numbers are going to go down because we don't just have a mental disorder because we have a mental disorder. We don't have a brain that's chemically imbalanced because we have a brain that's chemically imbalanced all of these what we call abnormalities have at the root a cause that made our nervous system going to overdrive and constant protection mode. And that is why these symptoms, these behaviors show up in our children. And if you can wrap your head around that, you will find your research to be more fun because you're going to start seeing evidence that what I talked about, which we've researched for seven years, evidence is going to start showing up big time and that we cannot turn our backs to, or we will literally abandon our children and create adults in the future that will have no autonomy. They will be externally referenced and won't know how to trust our intuition And if you want to go freaky in the real future, those type of adults will be easily replaced by artificial intelligence because they don't have their own way of feeling and trusting their intuition and of being creative and unique and to stand for a better future. So I hope this episode made a difference for you and I wish you strength, and power during this time if you're someone who or know someone whose child recently got diagnosed this is I think an episode worth sharing with those people and if they're open-minded enough then some of this information might actually save their children from going into that gloomy future I just described thank you for listening thank you for your attention I don't take this lightly attention is our power. So thank you for being here. Thank you for spreading the word. Thank you for coming back week after week. We love you. We want you to thrive. Listen in as we continue to peel the onion, continue to dig deeper, more to come. Some amazing experts in the future, Dr. Stephen Porges, the inventor of the polyvagal theory. We have Dr. Peter Bregan, an amazing amazing force when it comes to really looking at what medication does to our children and many more to come so stay tuned and live a magical life until next time